Hello, welcome to General Strike Radio on K-Wink 97.7, the very first episode. Um, that was Heidi Barikata by the Turkish revolutionary collective Bandista. So those of you who recognize the melody might know it as To the Barricades. So what a song to bring us into our first episode here. So really just wanted to introduce uh, myself very quickly. My name's Adam, the host of General Strike Radio. And I uh, want to thank K-Wink um, first and foremost and um, give a little background on myself. So this show is all about the labor movement. It is all about working class politics and uh, in particular what's going on in Reno, Nevada, um, as well as elsewhere. And really, I think it's important to talk about my background in the labor movement to give some kind of credibility. Um, I actually moved to Nevada from Cleveland, Ohio to organize with AFSCME Local 4041, the state employees union. Um, and that culminated in the passing of Senate Bill 135, um, that organizing 
effort, um, which that Senate bill gave state workers in Nevada the right to collectively bargain. So that was a historic piece of uh, legislation, which has been, uh, it's the result of a decades-long struggle. So very important. And what I've done in Nevada, back in Cleveland, I had been involved in the labor movement in one form or another, whether it is as a rank-and-file union member, um, as a volunteer working with SCIU, um, and obviously um, anyone who knows me knows my passion for the industrial workers of the world. So any other wobblies out there listening, um, solidarity to you, fellow worker. So really wanted to also discuss, first and foremost, the relevance of something like General Strike Radio um, and why it's important to talk about working class politics and talk about organizing the working class. Um, So, for example, um, a CNBC report um, that was published on the 1st of December a few days ago, the title, Nine Months After the Health and Economic Crisis Began, Unemployment uh, Climbs Near Record Highs. So (laughs) it's not going anywhere. These jobs that were lost are not coming back. And it's starting to become recognizable that this isn't just a hiccup, that there is a serious problem with the economic system as a whole um, in regards to unemployment, which is a utility of the system itself. When there's a lot of unemployed people, people work for less. <laughs> and so there's, a, there's an army of unemployed workers who, if you don't want to do a job for, say, $15 an hour, well, the bosses of the world can say, hey, well, he or she will do it for a dollar less. So shut your mouth and stay in line. Um, That impacts us as workers. Another report from the BBC um, that came out on October 7th, billionaires see fortunes rise by 27% during the pandemic. So not to worry, uh, we aren't all suffering equally. Um, People like Jeff Bezos are seeing their money increase, um, the healthcare industry in particular, um, be it the manufacturing uh, element in healthcare um, or the sort of pharmaceutical industrial complex, as it's called, manufacturing prescription drugs. They've seen their profits go up. Their income has increased. Actually, today, uh, Yahoo Finance reported um, that wages um, for the billionaire class and the rich have gone up, while for the bottom 90%, they've decreased. So um, their article, like I said, published today, uh, wage inequality gets worse. The bottom 90% stuck in the $30,000 range as top 0.1% take home way more than $1 million on average. So from this report, wages for the richest 1% in the United States have uh, soared um, and increased 160% over the past four decades, while the share of the wages for the bottom 90% have shrunk. And that was according to new data from the Economic Policy Institute. And it goes on to say that the share of total U.S. earnings um, that went to the top 1%, it doubled, actually, (laughs) from 1979. Uh, It was 7.3% in 1979. Now, well, in 2019, it was 13.2%. It nearly tripled, actually, for the uh, top 0.1%, rose from 1.6% to 5% during the same time period. So from 1979 to now, drastic wage increases for the wealthiest. Meanwhile, this report goes on, the bottom 90% of earners lost ground. Um, Their share of the wages shrunk from 69.8% of their total earnings in 1979 to 60.9% in 2019. So what's the cause of this? And this is sort of where I'm getting to the point. Um, I know I'm rambling a bit, but it, it really, um, it's important to know that people are not suffering equally, especially now that something like this pandemic has really laid bare all of the institutional problems that we experience um, in this country, especially, but elsewhere as well. So one of the major causes of this wealth disparity um, happens to be 
well, if you pay attention to the year, 1979, what happened between 1979 and now? Well, there was the Reagan and Thatcher government. So Reagan in the United States, Thatcher in the UK. They introduced brutal economic austerity measures and right-wing policies that were aimed to enrich the already very wealthy to the detriment of the working class. Not that that wasn't going on (laughs) way before the 80s, but it really was exacerbated then. And so uh, one of the primary methods they used to fight um, any sort of economic equality measures or any sort of um, groundswell from below uh, was they crushed unions. So the prime example in the United States is when Reagan crushed the air traffic controllers when they were on strike. And the primary example in the UK was the miners who were also crushed by the Thatcher uh, administration. So the power of organized workers has been recognized by the bosses for ever. (laughs) And it's time that we, as the working class, Um, begin to recognize that power as well. So labor is relevant. Um, Working class consciousness is relevant. And if we are to change this barbaric system, we have to learn from the past as well as engage with visions of a future that is built by and for the working class. And I think there's reason to believe that we're in the midst of a sort of labor renaissance because uh, there are new organizing strategies. There's the reintroduction of radical politics and militant tactics into unions. Um, There's this rejection of moderate business unionism that has sort of been the character of unions in the United States since at least, I would say, the 1970s, um, perhaps even earlier because um, of all the sort of legislation that was passed in the late 40s into the 50s, um, including like Taft-Hartley, for example, which kicked communists, anybody who was a communist or a socialist or red, as they were called, where it was kicked out of the labor movement. And therefore, we have the sort of moderate business unionism, which has characterized the labor movement in the United States since, um, at least since the McCarthyist Red Scare and all that. Really, the, the reason that uh, I think this is interesting is that if you look at, say, for example, Payday Report, which is an excellent website, they have a strike tracker. And they have identified 1,100 wildcat strikes that have happened since March. So just measuring labor actions since the start of the pandemic even, um, we see this trend where moderate business unionism, uh, working with the boss, sort of embracing the neoliberal economic structure has gone to the wayside in favor of militant worker action. And a wildcat strike, if you don't know, is when workers, without the permission of the boss, even without the permission of their union leaders, um, who tend to be a little bit more moderate especially if they're within the AFL-CIO. It's a wildcat strike is when the workers say, we're going to eschew all of that. We are going to simply, um, in solidarity, perform a walkout or a slowdown, um, basically taking action on their own behalf. Um, that has been unseen since, at least in, in, in the numbers that we're seeing now, 1,100 wildcat strikes since March. Um, that sort of worker action has been unseen since the Great Depression. So... I think there's reason to believe that we're in this labor renaissance, and I think it's really exciting that there are rank-and-file union members who are organizing beyond the AFL-CIO's guidelines. They're organizing beyond the corrupt political system, and they're done relying on the Democratic Party. Um, They are also organizing beyond the boss-friendly, tame, and institutionalized business unions. So it's just interesting to me as well that the Payday Report is obviously covering this, but the mainstream media is not. I have not seen in any mainstream media source uh, anything pertaining to over a thousand wildcat strikes taking place across the country. And really, um, to sort of introduce the rest of the show, um, we want to pay attention to nurses because especially in the midst of this pandemic, 
Um, many of the rank and file workers who are at the forefront of this militant effort are healthcare workers and nurses in particular. So NPR actually had a report today about nurses in New York City. Um, they are experiencing understaffing, lack of equipment, lies from management, and I mean just all of this typical, um, like I've, I've said before, the healthcare industrial complex situation where um, they're driven by profit and therefore what do they do? Well, they don't hire enough nurses or they don't pay the nurses enough or they have travel nurses instead of full-time nurses in these places. So many issues, obviously, and these um, New York State workers, uh, they are engaging in protests. Very recently, they actually had a two-day strike. So the union in particular, the New York State Nurses Association, um, just had a massive strike. Um, and as a matter of fact, in uh, Ventura County, there was uh, another report today in one of USA Today's outlets, the VC Star, um, that the uh, Los Robles uh, nurses are starting to vote very soon. Um, they're, they're going to vote very soon uh, to authorize a strike. So nurses strikes, doctors in Washington have gone on strike. Um, so the healthcare industry in particular, and it's a shame to have to call it an industry, but that sector in particular is something to pay attention to. Um, and that is why I'm very excited that today we are going to talk to um, a representative from National Nurses United, a very um, well-respected and progressive um, nurses union. And it's going to be interesting to hear from Tamara Erickson um, and what's going on at St. Mary's right now, if you don't know. Very similar to what I just described is happening to nurses in New York City. So that'll be an exciting um, discussion to have in a little bit. Uh, we are going to take a brief break and we will talk with Tamara very quickly. Very soon, I should say. We must pay for From the cities and the farmlands To trenches full of mud War has always been the bosses wiser The union forever Defending our rights Down with the black leg The workers unite With our brothers and our sisters From many far off lands there is power in a union Now I long for the morning that I realise Brutality and unjust laws cannot defeat us But who defend the workers who cannot organise When the bosses send their lackeys out to cheat us Money speaks for money, the devil for his own
right. Welcome back to General Strike Radio on K-Wink 97.7. Um, that was Billy Bragg's There is Power in a Union. And we're going to talk to a very special guest in a bit um, about how much power there actually is in a union. So we're going to be talking to Tamara Erickson. She is the head nurse. Um, she's uh, head nurse representative for National Nurses United. Um, she is actually one of the leaders who brought the union to St. Mary's. And she's going to talk to us in a bit about uh, what that struggle has looked like and what the future holds for the uh, workers within the healthcare industry, and in particular in Reno's own St. Mary's. So, let me give her a call. Hello, Adam. Hello, very nice to hear from you. Um, welcome to General Strike Radio. We're excited to have Tamara Erickson. Um, like I said, she is the uh, head nurse representative for National Nurses United for the RNs at St. Mary's. How are you tonight? I'm tired, but I'm good. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Very good. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're going to uh, kind of have a discussion about what's been going on, a little bit of the history. Um, but it's like I, I kind of said um, in describing the struggles of nurses elsewhere, um, just lack of equipment, understaffed. Um, I mean, in particular for the nurses at St. Mary's having healthcare benefits stripped. Um, but before we get into all of that kind of stuff, um, how about you tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into healthcare work, and uh, how you became a leader and labor activist? Okay. In a, a snapshot, basically, I moved to Reno in 1990 as a new graduate nurse in my mid 30s. And I said, I'm going to stay here for two years and then flash forward, and I'm still here. Um, I eventually, after two years on the med search floor, went to critical care. I was there for gosh, 22 years, and now I am a recovery room nurse at Saint. So I have been there for the total of my 30 years of nursing. Um, Back in 07, a group of critical care nurses decided that, you know, it just didn't seem right that we didn't know what we were going to be worth the next year. We didn't know we had three paid holidays. Um, There was no just cause with disciplinary issues. Um, it was, it was just not pretty. So we said, you know what? We need the union. So we made a call to then California Nurses Association, CNA, and said, we want, we want representation here in Reno. And they kind of laughed at us. They said, you're a right to work state. They don't like unions there. How do you think we can do this? And we said, well, we have to try. So we did and we won and we became part of the union, which is NNU CNA. In 07, um, I've been involved in the last two contract negotiations, and I love this town, I love this area, and I really love being a nurse. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent story. Um, so I guess one of the questions that I have personally, and I think maybe our listeners will have as well, is... In being sort of active in the labor movement out here for the past three years, I've noticed more than a few union folks mention some problems at St. Mary's even before the pandemic. So what has been the sort of history as far as St. Mary's is concerned and their treatment of nurses and healthcare workers? Um, History-wise, first of all, you have to realize that St. Mary's has been owned by three different health care corporations since I've worked there. Uh, we voted the union in in the first of three. It was just a little local St. Mary's. And Catholic Health West, which later became Dignity, bought us. And then, um, I think it was five years ago now, Prime Healthcare is our new bosses, so to speak. Um, over that 
time uh, with Catholic Health West Dignity, we they they were quite used to unionized unionized nurses. Uh, of course, every contract is a battle, um, but they honored them and they honored the contract. They agreed to them after long negotiations. Uh, Prime Healthcare came in, and they our our contract says you have to honor it. Doesn't matter who owns the hospital. The contract is good. Uh, initially, we had a management team that had been there as myself through Dignity and now into Prime. They recognized the fact that being the only hospital in Nevada that had mandated ratios um, was critical to getting nurses to work there. It was critical to keeping nurses there. And so, in essence, we had a pretty good relationship you know, again, struggling with issues like benefits and, and wages, but honoring the systems of grievances, just cause, things of that nature. And then everything changed in January. Um, that particular management leadership team all left. And the people that came in weren't involved in the last conversation or the last uh, contract negotiations, including the head of HR, uh, our CNO, and our CEO. So now we have a total different team that we're trying to educate to the contract, and they're going, well, that's not how I read it. Um, all kinds of battles as far as interpretation of the contract that was uh, signed uh, 2019 September. Because of that, we have two big issues going to arbitration, one being our benefits and the other being our wages. So. I have to honestly say that this administration has been pretty tough to work with. But then again, you throw in COVID, and COVID is hard on everybody. It's hard on them getting their foot in, foot into how the corporate structure of prime care works, uh, and it's particularly hard on the, the nurses and other frontline workers. And that was actually going to be my next question. Um, and it's funny, though, that uh, you are talking about all these different entities either taking control or different managers, all this stuff. Like, th- that is something that is, I mean, it's important and it's seldom discussed, I think, in a lot of um, even labor circles that as soon as a new boss comes around, all of a sudden it's up to the workers to sort of manage from below. <laughs> so it's like it's such a, a stressful process um, and it, it ends up impacting um, the workers in numerous stressful ways. But really back to the pandemic, um, you kind of mentioned um, some of, I guess, an answer to this question, but what role has the pandemic played in exacerbating some of the issues that you faced um, as a healthcare worker yourself and, and your fellow workers? Just in, in, And you can use particular examples or, or just be more general. Up to you. Wow. Big question there. Um, a couple of things have happened. Of course, we're, we negotiated and agreed upon a benefit package. And all of a sudden, it changed in January. And then come February, people are being denied um, the pediatric care of their children that they've had for years because it was our previous benefit that they've changed. Uh, Co-pays went up. Drug costs went up. And and it was crazy. It was like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm here at St. Mary's because of those benefits. And I'm here because of ratios. Um, with the pandemic, what we have found is that if a nurse comes down with COVID, 
she gets paid for the three days it takes to get the COVID test and nothing else. There's, there's no safety net for us. Um, that was tough. The other thing that COVID really, really, you know, kind of gave management an opportunity to change was ratios. So our ratios are like a med surge floor is one, one nurse to five patients. Critical care is two to one. Um, with the COVID pandemic, they decided to throw those out the window and reintroduce the thing that they call team nursing. Uh, really, the team is, there isn't a team, but what they're doing now on med surge is that the primary nurse will have 12 patients. And I'll have a secondary nurse that may not actually be qualified or trained in that particular area of practice. Uh, in critical care, they're making a primary nurse take three critical care patients and then throwing another, I call it a license, an untrained, like a mother baby nurse who's very good in their area of practice into the critical care arena and there's not a whole lot of help they can offer, but you know, it's that's what COVID has done to us. It's it's taken they've taken parts of the contract and said we can't follow this now, but we'll follow this other part and uh, tearing apart the contract, saying what they will or won't do according to the contract, has been very very tough on on the staff. Yeah, and that's something that I, I've noticed in, in different articles um, or just, you know, from people I've talked to, that that seems to be a consistent pattern across sectors, especially in the healthcare uh, industry and sector, but that management has used this pandemic as an opportunity to abuse workers. That, oh, well, we can't, you can't expect us to abide by this contract. Now it's in a, like a, it's a pandemic. So it's, it's really unfortunate that the people who are doing like the most important work, which are in my view, nurses in in the healthcare sector, um, they're, are, they're confronting the same exact issues. And I guess, um, to, I go back to um, kind of what you were talking about uh, as far as introducing the union to St. Mary's. Um, what did that process look like? And and for people who are, I guess, unfamiliar with the process of um, maybe concepts like card check or um, signing people up with the union, whether they become members or whether they just sign the authorization cards, sort of what did that look like for you and your fellow workers at St. Mary's from the point of we want a union to your first negotiation? Okay, so when we invited them in, of course, there is the card signing, you know, do you have enough interest to to make this happen? So you go through that motion. Of course, by then, management knows that um, you're trying to bring the union in, and they, in turn, spent a phenomenal amount of money trying to prevent that from happening. Um, A lot of money and a lot of misinformation one of the things they did was we wanted the nurses union because we're nurses, but they figured if they could split the voting pool between the nurses union and a labor union, which just happened to be SEIU at the time, they actually invited SEIU in to try to split the pool and not get a majority vote to join. So you had three choices. You could join the nurses union and in you, you could join SEIU, the labor union, or you could say no. And it was, it was a tactic. It's a very familiar tactic to anyone who's ever helped to organize. But I was amazed at the amount of money, time, 
um, misinformation they threw out there. And it took a lot of work on those of us that were working to bring the union in to not let, not let their tactics work. And we managed to do that. So I'm grateful for that. I work with an incredible, wonderful group of nurses. They're smart. They're educated. Some of us have been there for a very long time. And um, I just, I consider that an honor to work with them. But it was very much an interesting fight to even get the union into a hospital in northern Nevada. That's And that's absolutely fascinating to me as somebody with a background in labor because not many people know about that management tactic that you just mentioned, that when you have a, a progressive and actual like rank-and-file-led union like NNU trying to come into the picture, management will sometimes introduce a more moderate, business-friendly union like SEIU, and they it's sort of like a win-win for the boss. Like They could say, well, at least we won't have to deal with those radicals in the NNU. Uh, we can just deal with SEIU, or it'll split the vote so much that they won't have a union at all. It's such a, like, that tactic is, to me, one of the most interesting management tactics. And I'm happy that um, you guys ended up with NNU because I have a tremendous amount of respect for National Nurses United. And I guess... Leading uh, from from that point, um, how has having a union at St. Mary's benefited you and your fellow workers? Well, well, countless, countless ways. Um, you know, for the first time in our, in my career, we actually had a pay scale system where we knew what we were going to be worth the following year. And of course, anybody who's young and wants to build a home needs to know what their value is as far as their income goes. So that's always a big one. But I think the big thing was the nurse-to-patient ratios. I mean, it took a, a legislative act in California to even let that happen there. And we did it through our union just in our hospital. That's really big. I mean, because we feel pretty strongly, and, and all the numbers prove it and all the studies that have been done, that better outcomes, uh, patient safety is all based on how much time a patient gets with a nurse and that quality of care level was something we were really proud of right now COVID has made that very very difficult we don't have those ratios we're stretched to the max we're worried about patient safety we're worried about patient outcomes and ironically we're extremely upset with management right now because they continue to do elective surgeries by doing elective surgery they are putting other people in the hospital, in the bed, that we literally don't have staff for. And that puts everybody at risk. Then you throw in the whole infectious process of COVID, and it's even worse. Yesterday, the hospital announced that they would no longer be doing elective surgery that would take up a hospital bed. In other words, it would be a same-day situation. So by doing that, they're not putting new admits into the hospital, that's good. But they continue to do elective surgeries. They may come in and leave the hospital on the same day, but whether it's brain surgery or carpal tunnel relief, you're still utilizing OR nurses, recovery room nurses, and then the same day surgical nurses to get processed through the hospital. Right now, we don't have enough nurses to take care of our in-house patients. So our push, and this was done in a, 
a union PPC meeting, it's our professional practice committee meeting yesterday, is to stop the madness. Let these nurses from the OR, from PACU, from same day, from pre-op, let them hit the floor. Put them where they're going to be the most help to the most patients. Um, but to continue doing unnecessary surgeries takes an incredible amount of resources away from where they're needed right now. So the union is fighting that. We're fighting it with our voices. We're fighting it with our grievance process. Um, it's a tool that we're using, and it's working. It just is a slow process. So the big push right now from NNU, from my nurses, is stop the madness, quit, quit putting kerosene in the fire, and let us utilize those nurses that can help elsewhere in the hospital throughout this COVID pandemic. And that's very powerful because, I mean, the way you're describing it, it's like management is complicit in the hardships being faced by not just the nurses and the workers at the hospital, but by the community in general. That's a that is a healthcare disaster, as far as I'm concerned. Hearing about it, um, and I guess because of the the way you've um, been describing the sort of relationship that the workers at St. Mary's have with management, I can't imagine what the organizers and the leadership within the union, such as yourself, what I guess what kind of uh, retaliation um, or targeting or hostility, if any, did you face when you were sort of starting this process to get the union into St. Mary's? Well, yeah, you go back to that and, you know, the need not to um, let us organize and then, boom, we did organize. And then how do you make your voice heard? I think that's always an issue. But the whole purpose of a union is to create a platform where nurses can have their voices heard. And, and that's pretty powerful. Um, can be heard, um, nurses that would be disciplined unnecessarily or beyond the extent of their error or what have you, uh, needed representation. So, our contract says they have to have representation, so we do that. We rep nurses. Um, they call us and they say, what is the union doing about this, that, or the other thing? And we say, well, you are the union, and let's tell you what kind of tools we have to bring that issue uh, to the appropriate areas that need to be addressed. Uh, good ideas. Uh, nurses have put some great ideas out into how the hospital can run more smoothly, uh, our previous management system was actually pretty pretty open to hearing those things and helping us work with that. Um, whereas right now, what you have is a management system that uh, is not what I would consider union friendly. Um, they're under pressure from Prime Healthcare, which is a privately owned for profit healthcare system, telling them what to do. And yeah, it's it's kind of a perfect storm. And then you throw in COVID, and it's it's been tough. I will say that we had a good meeting yesterday. We are making inroads. Um, we do want elective surgery stopped, and we also feel that it's time to stop visitate vis- visitors from coming into the hospital. And that's really hard for nurses to say, because we know better than anyone how important family support is to anyone who's hospitalized for whatever purpose. But what's happening is we have family members that are COVID positive coming in to visit their their loved ones and uh, putting us even at more risk, which 
you know, right now we have 20, as of Monday, we had 23 RNs out because of COVID or COVID rule out situation. That's a large force of our daily um, nursing needs. And if we can't control our own environment, then it's, it's just not good. And so those are some of the battles we fight. The pushback comes back from this is going to cost too much. And, of course, our response is, what's the cost of a life? Really? I don't believe that if we shut down elective surgeries and visitation for a month or two, we're going to break the bank. We're not. We did it before. We know we didn't break the bank. Um, so what's the cost of a life? And I think the other things that nurses need to realize, when we're being told to do everything possible, that we're going, but you're not. You're not closing down electives. You're not stopping visitors. You're not setting up better communication systems so that we can stay in touch with the families. Um, you know, so it's a battle. And, and COVID is fatiguing. It's scary. Nobody wants to bring it home to their own families. And yet it's happened. Uh, we're all losing loved ones. And yet we're willing to get up and go to work every day because that's who we are, what we do. And so, yeah, the union gives us a chance to make our wishes and concerns known. Obviously, you have me here, so I'm grateful for that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a real tough time. And we are very thankful to have you here. Uh, for those just tuning in, you are listening to General Strike Radio on KWINK 97.7. Uh, we are talking with Tamara Erickson, the head nurse representative for National Nurses United at St. Mary's. And very powerful stuff um, you've been talking about and uh, absolutely fascinating to me as a sort of labor nerd. Um, but what would you like the community to know just in general or specifically? I just know that from conversations I've had, there are so many misconceptions about what healthcare workers face, what the pandemic, uh, how ugly it really is for so many people, especially with all these conspiracy wackos out there. <laughs> what what should the community know from the uh, the nurse's mouth, we'll say? <laughs> what would you like the community to know about your struggles and the struggles of your fellow workers um, in the healthcare sector? Well, I, I think my... <clears throat> My first point is, is please, we're, we're overburdened now. Uh, we don't have enough staff to take care of patients as well as we'd like to, but we're trying hard. Um, don't do things that would put you at risk to bring you into the hospital and take away resources from someone else if you don't have to. Uh, don't do elective surgeries. Maybe reconsider your high-risk activity, whether it be a party or, you know, schemes, things that would not only spread COVID, but perhaps create injury where you're going to have to come in with a broken leg. You're not going to see any family when you're in there. I can't guarantee how the, and timely the surgery might be to fix it. And then you're going to be a patient in a hospital that has an awful lot of COVID um, in it. So my thing to the community was, first of all, do everything you can not to become a patient, including wearing masks, including limiting, I mean, everything you've heard, you know, limiting size of groups, uh, think twice about risky behaviors, um, don't, don't, don't plan on health care and hospitals being able to give you the same care that they gave you last year or the same timely 
care that you receive because we're running out of beds, we ran out of staff, and the COVID patients are rolling, rolling in. So my wish to the community is stay home when you can, be safe, uh, take care of each other, don't go out unnecessarily, try to avoid coming into the surgery for or into the hospital for surgeries that could be delayed without creating great harm to you. Uh, we will do everything we can to take care of emergencies and urgent type of surgeries, life-saving surgeries, for sure. But now's not the time to have your surgery done just because you paid your copays for the year. It, it just isn't going to be good for anybody. That's that's a lot of what I would say right now. We can get through this, but we do need the community to step up and say, I have to be careful because I may not get kind of health care I would be expecting otherwise. And speaking of the community, what can we do to help you and your fellow workers and nurses across the country in their struggles? Can we do donations, protests, solidarity pickets? What do you need? We're here to do it. And uh, just yeah. let us know. Yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful. And, and Adam, we talked about the pickets that we had back in February. We were out picketing because we did not, or March, we did not feel that we had enough appropriate PPE. So we went to the streets. We, we went out there. We practiced social distance. We wore masks. And we were saying, we need help. We need help with PPE because this is not safe for us. And if we can't take care of you, we're all in duty. So it was really cool because various organizations in Reno stepped up and made donations. They made some individuals made private donations of masks, uh, trip plastics. God bless them. They made a donation of 10,000 face shields and they wanted to give it to the nurses union to be sure that the nurses got it. And I was, I was overwhelmed and touched by the community support that we got, uh, simply by standing outside our doors saying, help, help protect us so we can protect you. And that was, that's one of the reasons I love Northern Nevada. Um, as far as what you can do for us, we'll let you know. I think the biggest thing is to stay out of the hospital unnecessarily. Um, don't put any bigger burden on the healthcare system. And that would be the greatest gift you could give us right now. Well, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to have you back on. I have such high hopes for National Nurses United, for you, for your fellow workers at St. Mary's, and for healthcare workers across the country. Um, I cannot uh, tell you enough how much I appreciate you being on the show as the first guest um, General Strike Radio has ever had. So thank you so much for your time. Well, well, thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for the work you do. It's people like you that keep us feeling good about taking care of our community. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. All right. Well, thank you so much. You will hear from me again because, I, like I said, I'm bringing you back on. So <laughs> hopefully with good news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank, thank right. you, Adam. I appreciate it. Yep. Take care.
All right, that was, again, Tamara Erickson from National Nurses United, the head nurse rep at St. Mary's Hospital here in Reno, Nevada. And you heard her. Um, do what you can to stay out of the hospital, and we will keep you updated as far as the needs of the healthcare workers. Um, this has been, again, the first ever episode of General Strike Radio on K-Wink 97.7. Um, want to thank K-Wink for allowing us the time to be here, and we will talk to you very soon. Uh, we are going to close with uh, The Clash, career opportunities. So again, thank you for listening to General Strike Radio and have a good night. They offered me the office of a neither shop. They said I better take anything they got. Do you want to make tea at the BBC? Do you want to be? Do you really want to be a cop? Career opportunity, the one that never knocked. Every job I offer used to keep you up the dock Career opportunity, the one that never knocked I hate the army and I hate the RAF I don't wanna go, I fight him in the job they go I hate the seven sides of I won't open that bomb for you Career opportunity, the one that never knocked Every job they offer used to kick you off the dock Career opportunity, the one and never knock Job they offer used to kick you out the door. Career opportunity, the world has never known.